What are the benefits which in this life do either accompany or flow from justification, adoption, and sanctification? Now, as a a note, those are the last three questions we did. What is justification? What is adoption? What is sanctification? So the answer is the benefits which in this life do accompany or flow from justification, adoption, and sanctification are assurance of God's love, peace of conscience, joy in the Holy Spirit, increase of grace, persevering in it to the end. Now that's about six months of sermons right there. Um, so do not do not expect uh, great things today. Um, Ephesians 1 verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, pay attention, who has blessed us in Christ Jesus with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Let me pray. Father, we look to consider such monumental truths of your salvation in Christ Jesus. We look to see what we have in the Holy Spirit that you have given to us. God, we desire to seek to understand more of what benefits we have through such salvation. And we pray that your grace would be upon us in this today. Amen. So last week, well, and I'll, I'll tell you this. I was so excited when I got to this question because it is so full. But then as I was trying to figure out how to preach it, I was like, I don't know how I'm going to do this. But the Lord was very gracious and helpful because as I thought about it, it really connected us back to last week. Because last week we ended our section in Hebrews 13, verse 5 and 6, talking about being content and the way to be content was to be, well, was to have eternal life. To know God and Jesus Christ whom He has sent. And we said that when we know God and Jesus Christ whom, we are, he, whom He has sent, we are protected. We find protection. But most importantly, for the sake of today, we find satisfaction. And so as I was thinking through this question, I was like, huh. Now we know how we're satisfied. Because we have benefits of our eternal life. We have benefits from being justified and adopted and sanctified in Christ Jesus. And that's what these things are. And so you might have conversations or you might even consider this question in your mind. What good is Christianity right now? Like what... What benefit is this? And I don't. This is we're we're using old English sort of sixteen hundred. This 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 sort of language was written in the sixteen hundreds, translated again in the eighteen hundreds, and we use benefits in a lot more worse ways than this they do here. And so it's difficult because people look for benefits without um, 
look for benefits without hard work. They look for benefits without belonging. They look for benefits as cheap as possible. And so don't get this wrong and to think of, oh, I got some benefits for you in Jesus. Just go ahead and just say the prayer. No, this, uh, let's just use the word blessings because that's sort of what we were seeing in Ephesians 1. We, we have been blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Um, and so that, that sort of sets us up of how how this can how you can think about this, meditate on this, and give yourself encouragement as you consider these blessings and benefits in Christ Jesus to realize that goes back to how we ended last week. He has said I will never leave you nor forsake you. And so we can confidently say, The Lord is my helper. I shall not fear what can man do to me. So I'm thankful. I feel like the Lord has led us right into this and can help us connect this as we look at this question today. So there, <clears throat> I think, well, there, there's four, five benefits. But before we get to the benefits, I want to preface it with five quick observations about these benefits, about the blessings in Christ, okay? Now let's just let's just look back at your bulletin again and see them. Assurance of God's love, peace of conscience, joy in the Holy Spirit, increase of grace, and perseverance in it to the end. Now five things quickly. Five things you've got to keep in mind. Probably to sort of help you see them as blessings and not like quick uh, benefits I can have by just saying I'm a Christian. Number one, these are given by the will and grace of God. If you go back and look at adoption and, and, and justification, those questions and answers in the catechism starts with... Um, a free act of God's grace. These benefits are given. They're granted. They're not earned, which we'll come and talk to again. They are from the will of God the Father. Number two, not only are they given in grace, they had to be purchased by the blood of the Son. You don't get these just because you wanted them. Jesus paid for them with his life, with his blood. He sacrificed himself that you could benefit. Remember how we said it a couple weeks ago? That in his, in his richness, I'm butchering it. In his rich, richness became uh, poor, that in our poverty might become rich. Christ gave himself that we would benefit. Number three. These benefits are applied to the saints by the Spirit of God. So there we've got the triune God, right? Given by the will and grace of the Father, uh, purchased by the Son, applied to the Christian, the saint, by the Spirit of God. So meaning, if you have these benefits, you have the Spirit of God. If you have the Spirit of God, you have these benefits or these blessings. Number four... You cannot realize these, benefit from them, apart from the Word of God. 
You catch that one? You can't just say, I got the benefits in my pocket and I've never opened my Bible. It don't work that way. These And we'll see later, these benefits, they find their home coming out of the Scripture. You're unaware of them apart from the Word of God. You cannot know of the benefits of being justified, adopted, and sanctified apart from the Word of God. Right? It began with the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of Christ. We're, uh, we're adopted by the Word, the, the incarnate Word of God, the Son, uh, the heir of all things. We are sanctified in what? Truth. Jesus says, Father, your word is truth. You cannot experience or benefit from these blessings apart from the word of God. So you don't open your Bible. You don't have any hope. Like, I don't want to say that again, but I also want you to understand that opening your Bible does not give you hope. But if you call yourself a Christian and you're not opening your Bible, you don't have any hope. Number five. And we're going to talk about this at the end. These are received only through faith in Jesus Christ. Only through faith. Okay, here we go. Now, number one, I'm going to save assurance of God's love for the last. So, number one, the first one, peace of conscience. Now, here's where I gave thanks to the Lord as I was preparing for this. Because I didn't know how to do this. And then Psalm 23 came into my mind. Every benefit is listed at least once in Psalm 23. So look, look at look at Psalm. We'll spend the majority of our time in Psalm 23 this morning. And some of these benefits, I'm just going to read scripture to you because it just speaks for itself, okay? And it's pretty self-explanatory. Okay, number one, like I said, we're going to do assurance of, of God's love at the end. So the first is peace of conscience. Now, so we're, we're talking about peace, right? You start Psalm 23 and it is just a song a psalm of tranquility it's it's something like if if you wanted to if you wanted to set up a scene where you could be in peace this is the scene you would want to you would want to draw up look what he says the lord is my shepherd i shall not want he makes me lie down in green pastures now understand you're a sheep okay doesn't really make any sense if you don't understand that he's the shepherd and you're a sheep. Because you'll be like, why do I want to lay down in green pastures? Because the analogy is, is God is the shepherd, we are sheep. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. So there, there are one, two, three, four things that we can see when it comes to peace in Psalm 23. And I've just read the first one. Your needs. Your needs are provided for by the shepherd. And therefore, 
you can have what? Peace about today. You can have peace about tomorrow. Therefore, Jesus says, do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? Well, he's just put you down in green pastures and beside still waters. What more do we want? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things. And Jesus says, your heavenly father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Therefore, therefore, so how does peace come into play? Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. If you're not anxious, what do you have? Peace. Do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own troubles. He leads you beside still waters and lays you down in green pastures. He says, uh, Paul says to the Philippians, let your reasonable reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything because we're after peace, right? But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God and the peace of God will surpass all understanding and will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Another way we have peace as a benefit of this great salvation is the direction of our lives. Which path to take? Which decision to make? What is right? What is wrong? Now these next three, I believe, are in reference to the three greatest fears of a human being. Do you know what they are? Number one, fear of judgment. And I'm talking about divine judgment. Number two, fear of death. Number three, fear of man. Now, look at verse 23. When it comes to the fear of judgment, we see that he, our good shepherd, restores our souls. He leads us in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So, Christian, you say, well, if I go this way, I go this way. If I do this way, I don't know. No, 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 no. Follow the path set before you, the narrow path. And do you know who walked that path? Jesus. He set that path before you. And you're like, well, I don't know it. Which which way do I go? Again, ding, ding, ding. He wrote a book. He leads. But, but see, it goes beyond that. And I'll probably say this multiple times, be very redundant. Um just like I did there. Um, it's not just that he wrote a book and gave it to us. He has planted his word on our hearts in the giving of himself to dwell in us so that we don't have to be wandering and trying to figure out he is leading us, Christian. He's leading you through His Word and by His indwelling Spirit. And so there's no need to fear a divine judgment because His caring for you is bringing you to glory, to eternal life, not judgment. 
and condemnation. For there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because they've entered the gate and they are on the path. Everyone who hears, here's Jesus again. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. So you're like, okay, what's the path? Well, this is it. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. Do you know what that is? That is judgment. That is judgment language. Rains, downpours, winds, floods, pounding. Is it going to stand if it's in Christ always and forever? And there is no fear of condemnation. No fear of judgment. It did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. But let's go back to that first verse. How are they founded? Or what does it mean to be founded on the rock? Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them. A hearer and a doer. And of course we know the negative aspect of this uh, illustration. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain fell and the floods came. Judgment came barreling down and what happened? The house fell and not only did it fall, but great was its fall. We have peace when it comes to the righteous judgment of God because Christ is our Savior. His perfect life given to us in righteousness by faith and His death, a sacrificial death that washes away every stain and sin. The second aspect of this is comfort in death. We are comforted from the fear of death. And of course, Hebrews 2 says it very well. Since therefore children share in flesh and blood, he himself, that would be the Son of God, likewise partook of the same things. What was those things? Flesh and blood. That through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death. That is the devil. And deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. The last enemy to be destroyed. Is death. Oh, death, where is your sting? It's gone. Christ's victory over the grave. And the last thing, Christ is victory over our enemies. Therefore, we fear not one man. We fear not anyone. Like Hebrews 13, like Hebrews 13, 6 says. The Lord is my helper. I shall not fear. What can man do to me? In Christ, the benefits of justification, adoption, and sanctification is peace. Internal peace. And this is a peace, what? That you cannot fathom. You cannot imagine. It is a peace that surpasses all understanding. It is a gift and grace of God through Jesus Christ by the indwelling Spirit of God. All right, the second. Number, number one is peace. Number two, joy. Joy in the Holy Spirit. If you don't have joy after what we just talked about, you're a tough crowd. But the reality is, that's, that's what brings... Joy, joy and contentment are brothers and sisters 
They're, they're twins, right? Like if you have contentment in Christ, you have nothing but joy in Christ. Whether it's up or down, high or low, left or right, you are, you are all those, all, I can't think of them, all those characteristics of a content heart is ultimately a joyful person. A joyful person. Now, if you look at this psalm, Psalm 23, I might be pushing this a little bit, but I, I, I look at the first verse. The Lord is my shepherd. Now, we're talking about joy. That statement to me brings joy in three different ways. And all, all of it depends on the, emphasis, the word you emphasize. Right? The Lord Amen. of all people, of all beings, the creator God, the Lord is my shepherd. Okay, that's number one. Number two, the Lord is my shepherd. Personal. It's not, he's not just some general spirit floating around like all oh, this and that. And do no, 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 no. He's my shepherd. Amen. That brings joy. Now you see where we're going? The Lord is my shepherd. He's the one who cares for me, provides for me, feeds me, protects me. All that I need, I find in my shepherd, who is the Lord. What a joyful, small sentence. Right? And so this... What, what I just did... Is something that you can do at home. It's just called Bible study. It's called taking the words of the scriptures and thinking about them. And saying, what how does this how what does this mean to me? Why did he use this word? Why did he use that word? What how what word did he want to if if you just meditate, chew on it a little bit. And, and, and for the sake of wanting to know more about God and his grace, the gospel and the benefits that you have in Christ. You do that, you meditate, and the Word, it, it's infinite in its possibilities of feeding you. So do, do that sort of thing at home. So the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. There's, I don't think you can emphasize all three at once by just yelling at them real loud. The, la the last thing on the, on the joy, look at verse 5. The last, the last uh, line in verse 5. He said, my cup overflows. Again, that goes back to the idea of contentment, satisfaction, and joy. When one is full of Christ, one is full of the joy of Christ. Now, that's, that's a win-win. When one is full of the joy of Christ, he is full and runneth over. All right, so that's joy. Joy in the Holy Spirit. Number three. Increase of grace, a benefit of a, a justification, adoption, and sanctification is an increase of grace. Now, this one's a little tricky um, because the verbiage, it, it, the verbiage is a little bit different. But not the verbiage, but understanding it takes a broad. You got to take a broad angle at this one. Okay, so God has given us peace. In all these different ways throughout our entire lives, right? We have to understand that these benefits have no expiration date, right? Or, or, 
or when we when we truly are justified and adopted and we're being sanctified, we know that the sanctification process will be completed. Now it's going to be tough road and won't be completed until we see the we see Christ face to face. But here's the thing. I need grace today. And guess what I'm going to need tomorrow? Grace. Guess what I'm going to need after that? I'm going to need some more grace. So the benefit of our being justified before the sight of God and adopted into the family of God is that He gives us the thing we need in order to fulfill that which He's called us to. Right? Because He's already said that He's going to lead us in the paths of righteousness for His namesake. So what does that mean? It means that we need to we need an increase of not and not that it's like here's another helping of grace. It's as if it's divine, it's miraculous. It's very difficult for someone to put into the words, but the reality is that we've received an infinite amount of grace, but its application is hindered by us. Right? And so the the process of sanctification is actually a, a tough one because what is God doing? You'd take many different illustrations. He's either chiseling off, knocking off the, the, the crud, or he's lighting up the fire and burning it out of us. And so the sanctification process, we need grace. We need the favor. In its most general, basic sense, grace means favor. We need it. But there's a proverb that I didn't know existed. Um, Ironically, it's in chapter 4. Men, we went through that uh, last month or two months ago. Again, so much in Scripture that if you... I've got it written down. I don't have to turn to it. In Proverbs 4.18, go look at it later. The path of righteousness, which we said that God's put us on, the the good shepherds put us on, the path of righteousness is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. We even had that illustration in our our book uh, this last week. The 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 grace that we receive begins like the sunset and will continue. All the way until high noon. And at high noon, that's all we need. Right? Our life is from sun, sunrise, not sunset, sunrise to high noon. And when, we, when the sun is at the highest, this is when we're, we're the fullest in grace. And we see him bright and shining and glorious as he is. Second Peter says, Peter says in his second letter, that we are to grow in grace and the knowledge of the Lord. So again, this grace is again tied to, all these benefits are tied to the Word of God, the truth and knowledge. Ephesians 4, Hebrews 13 says God is equipping us. What? For maturity, for growth, unto likeness, walking down these paths of righteousness. He's giving us grace, showing us favor, day upon day upon day upon day. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Number four. These two go hand in hand. Perseverance in it to the end. In what? All of it. Every bit of it. 
whether you're talking about justification, adoption, sanctification, or these benefits. These all will keep you and preserve you until the end. I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's what he said, right? But here's what... Uh, okay, look at verse 6 of... of, of uh, Psalm 23. Surely, goodness, mercy, or steadfast love shall follow me all the days of my life. I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He keeps us to the end. But here's how, people. Here's how... We make it to the end. Salvation belongs to the Lord. As as Jonah was sinking down the depths of the water, he says, salvation belongs to the Lord. God kept him. And God keeps us. Outflowing from God... In keeping us, in his ability to keep us to the end, to show us goodness and mercy all of our days, to cause us to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Outflowing, this comes from an outflow of his character, of who he is. An outflowing of his character is his will and his decree. And what comes from his will and decree is his word, his promise. And flowing out of his word and his promise is is the work that keeps you. It starts in who he is, comes down in what he decrees, out through his word and or through his word and promise, and he keeps it through his work, number one, by sending his son, and number two, giving you his spirit. And to that end, you will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I'm just gonna quick quick shot these verses. John six. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me. That I should lose nothing of all that he has given me. But raise it up on the last day. John 10. I give them eternal life. That's what, these, that's what this is. I give them eternal life. And they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one who is able to snatch and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Romans eight. And those whom he predestined he also called, and those whom he called he also justified, and those whom he justified he also glorified. And just so you know, glorification takes place in the end. Romans 8, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Answer, nothing in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Now, I couldn't help but to keep the first one here at the end. And that's the assurance of God's love. The assurance of God. I'm not just talking about God's love. I'm talking about an assurance a surety of knowing that God loves you. Not just that God is love. What I'm talking about 
is an assurance that God loves. Put your name in. It number one. There's a re okay. In our when we do a baptism, there's a reason why I say or ask so and so. Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God sent by the Father to die for your sins? The love of God, the the, the cross of Christ, the adoption, justification, and sanctification of a saint isn't this general thing that God hopes that happens. It's a personal, it's a personal redemption. It's personal. It's the love of God like a father to a son. It's the love of God like a husband to a wife. And with great overlap, it's it's like the love of a shepherd to a sheep. The love of a father does the hard work, right? The discipline, the teaching, the discipleship. The love of the husband protects and provides, gives of himself for his bride. And the love of the shepherd leads, feeds, and cares. Isn't that how Jesus defines himself? I've already quoted John 10. Let me just do it again. A different section. Jesus says this about himself. I am the good shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. Psalm 23. Jesus. I am the good shepherd. So green waters. Green waters. Sounds like a CCR song or something. Still waters. Green pastures. Is it more than about pastures and water? I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. That's the still waters. That's the green pasture. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves and the sheep flees and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. There's no love there. There's no care. 13, he flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Jesus says again, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. No greater love than this. No greater love than this. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. How are we assured of that love? Is what I, I, I don't I I I want you to hear carefully. John would write in his letter, his epistle, and also in his gospel that we can know that we have eternal life, meaning you can know and be assured that God loves you. God has saved you, God will save you and glorify you. The love of God is eternal life. 
But we've misunderstood this in Christianity for, the, I don't know, the last 50 or 60 years. We've given people assurance based on words that they've said. We've assured people that they have eternal life based on actions that they've taken. But the Bible is very clear. True assurance is not found in our word or in our actions. But we find the truth of our assurance only in the word of God. On the basis of our assurance is only in the work and action of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And the reality of that assurance is only made known if it is manifested through the fruit of the Spirit of God that dwells in us. So let me just make sure we understand this. We don't have conversations with someone and say, oh, you said those words. I want you to know you're going to heaven. The Bible nowhere once says that. Nowhere once. The Bible is exponentially clear that the work of God, the love of God, the peace of God is made known in the children of God. The Spirit Himself bears witness. How can you be assured of God's eternal steadfast love towards you by seeing the fruit of his redemptive love in your life? Peace and joy? Do you find rest and here answer these questions? Do you find rest and satisfaction in the green pastures and still waters that he has led you to? Do you live in the gratitude of his provision for your life? Do you have peace and joy in walking the paths of righteousness, loving the law of the Lord with a great desire to know and keep his word? Does that, does that, is that an example of who you are? Increase of grace. Is it your desire to be more like Christ? I don't want to know if you pray to prayer. I want to know if you hate sin. I want to know if you want to look like Jesus Christ. Do you seek to put sin to death, to destroy the deeds of the body, of the flesh? This is the ever-increasing work of the Spirit, awakening our hearts and minds to the darkness of sin and the gloriousness of righteousness. I don't want to know if you're a member of a church. I want to know if you have an increasing desire for the Word of God and the presence of God in your prayers. I want to know if you want a fellowship with the people of God because you need it, because you... Receive the Lord through them. These are what are called the means of grace. The word of God. Prayer. And the worship of his saints. How can you be sure God has placed his love on you through Jesus Christ? Well, My question is, can you see the work of God in you? How did the Israelites know that God was there for them? He said it, but there was also a physical. They saw it. They saw the waters split. They saw the walls of Jericho fall. And I'm not saying you've got to see it to believe it. I'm saying when God is working in you, through you, it will be seen. 
The work of God will be seen. Paul writes so many letters. Uh, He says this to the Thessalonians. Listen to what he says to this church. I give thanks to God for you always constantly mention you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father the work of faith. He sees, they, they, they see work of faith. They see a labor of love. They see steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, bro- brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not in word but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. They were imitators of the Lord. They received the word with affliction and with joy of the Spirit. They were examples to Macedonia and Achaia. The work of the Lord didn't go from them because they said, I have made a profession of faith. Paul knew that they were Christians because of their works. Faith without works is dead. You must understand that. We rightly worship the Father's love and sending His own Son But we strongly underestimate the love of God in giving us His Spirit. We sing songs about the cross of Christ. But we must not forget that all of these benefits come to us in the giving of the Spirit of God. And it's in this giving of His Spirit that all these benefits come and make themselves known in our hearts and in our lives through our thoughts, our words, and our deeds. Go and read Romans 5 today. Verses 1 through 5. We started this started the service with it. Go and read it again and see these in see joy, love, hope, and peace even in suffering. But all these benefits and you go see it in Romans 5 come to us by faith. Only by faith. They're granted to us by faith. They are not earned or worked for, but faith must come first. I've been reading a lot about John Wesley, one of the great preachers of the first great awakening, and he said this, faith is the gate to the inward religion. Meaning it's the beginning. Faith. Before you enjoy the garden, like you've got the gate, And then the garden, before you can work and harvest, you must enter the gate. You must believe. You must trust Christ. You must trust his life, his death, his resurrection. You must hear his word and do it. Wesley's the perfect example of one who strove to to obtain all these benefits on, on earth. All these eternal life benefits apart from faith. Wesley grew up a Christian and was put on a path of godliness through his words, universal obedience by keeping all the commandments of God. And for the first 35 years of his life, it almost killed him. He was said he said as a child, he was driven by a duty. Not by faith. Even as a teenager, he devoted himself to religious duties. See if you can set yourself up to John Wesley 
As a teenager, he said, I read the scriptures. I said my prayers morning and evening. And now, and what I hoped to be saved by was not being so bad as the other people, having still a kindness for religion. And three, reading the Bible, going to church and saying my prayers. But his, his works, his efforts were but filthy rags and he was spiritually dead because he had no faith. None. He trusted in himself for righteousness before God. He saw eternal life and its benefits on the merits of what he had done. But you know, the Lord opened John Wesley's eyes to the truth of Christianity. And this is what he would say of the reality of faith. He would define it as a living faith. And he, call, and he called it this. Living faith, a sure trust and confidence in God. Some of us put more confidence in that old beater truck we drive down the road full of gasoline fight with cars whizzing down the other side. Sure trust and confidence in God that by the merits of Christ... Your sins are forgiven. And that faith in God is reconciled you back to the favor and grace of God. And from this will spring many other things which till then he experienced not. As the love of God shed abroad in his heart, the peace of God which passes all understanding and the joy in the Holy Ghost, though not unfelt, yet unspeakable and full of glory. You know, I think John Wesley probably wrote, read this catechism. And so I ask each and every one of you this morning, did you walk through those blood-red stained doors into this church house not trusting in the finished work of Christ? You know, that's what those doors stand for, right? The red on those doors stand for the... The crucified Savior. Do not walk in these doors trampling underfoot the cross of Christ. Do you sit here today indifferent to this resurrection of this crucified King? If so, I plead to you today to flee to Christ and seek His forgiveness. Call out to Him for mercy and for an ever-increasing infinite grace. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. And walk through those white doors in a newness of life. Covered by the blood. Pure and holy as white as snow. For Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is full of grace and truth. And receiving from His fullness... What do we receive? Grace upon grace. And so by faith, start down the path of righteousness and be baptized. Show that you've been buried with Christ and raised to walk a new life. Now, church, one thing for you, Christian, beloved by God, who are on the path of righteousness, who knows the glorious benefits of eternal life, how shall you live in knowing all of what we said? Go to the Sermon on the Mount and be taught by Jesus. And when you look at the Sermon on the Mount, 
Look for the benefits of those who are on the path of righteousness. And Jesus will teach you how you ought to live. See the characteristics of those who are filled with the love of God in Jesus Christ as Jesus teaches the Sermon on the Mount. Go to his word this week and be taught by Christ and learn from him and let him bear your burdens. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for these benefits, these blessings that we have received only in Christ Jesus. Lord, we have been given the greatest gift of all, and that is yourself, as you have given us your spirit to dwell in us, to write your law upon our hearts, that we might we might know and keep your word, that we might be pleasing and live and live pleasing unto your sight. Would you pierce the hearts of those who do not believe today, those who have perhaps hidden behind religious acts as, as Mr. Wesley? Shatter them. Bring the storm of righteous judgment upon them now so that they might not, might not feel that fury uh, when they see you face to face. Bring sinners out of the grave. Awaken, awaken sleepy Christians. And be glorified and your saints here and let the spirit of god flow from us all across uh this uh this land and these people in jesus name amen